You guys can be seated. We're so glad that you're here this morning. My name is Matt Briggs. I'm the family pastor here, and it's my pleasure to get to be speaking this morning. And so what I'm about to say has nothing to do with the sermon today. It's just, uh, I just want to give you just a glimpse into the moment, uh, into a moment of my life, into just being me and how I am. So this morning, just, just a few minutes ago, Stevie asked me if I would make a pot of coffee. And uh, if you've ever had our coffee here, you know it is the best coffee in town. And, uh, and so I went to go make a, a pot of the best coffee in town, and I took the, I took the filter and I put the grounds in it, and I uh, put, the, uh, put, the, put it in the coffee pot, and then I poured the water in, and then I walked away. Um, but one of the key things that you should do when you make a pot of coffee is you should make sure the pot that you're making it into is empty and not already full of coffee. So what I did this morning is I made a full pot of coffee into a pot that was already full of coffee. And so um, that is, and there is not a more Matt Briggs story than that right there. So um, if you know me, you know that, that is just the most common thing that could happen. Nothing to do with today, but um, just wanted to share a humbling moment that I had today. Um, but again, we're so glad you're here. And it's so strange to me. It feels so warm outside and it feels so close to Thanksgiving, but Christmas is right here right here upon us. It's about as short as this time could possibly be between Thanksgiving and Christmas as the calendar falls. I hope that you're ready for it. Here at Grace City, as we did a few moments ago, we prepare to celebrate Christmas by celebrating Advent, which is expectant waiting and preparation for the coming of Jesus. You know, as we did a few moments ago, we'll light a candle each and every week, celebrating one aspect of Christmas and what God did for us by sending Jesus. And we'll culminate this series by lighting the Christ candle at our evening service on December 22nd. The whole idea we're celebrating is that God became one of us through Jesus. And it's because God became a man that walked the earth with us that we can have hope. That's why we lit the cope, the hope candle this morning. And that's why our faith stands out from others. We don't, sell, we don't serve a God who's sitting with popcorn watching and just seeing and hoping we all turn out well. We have a God who walks with us and desires to see us succeed. Listen to this. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God is infinitely holy. And so our sin could not be shrugged off. It had to be dealt with. God couldn't just let it go. On the other side, God is infinitely loving and infinitely kind. He knew that we could never reach him on our own. There was, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins before Christ came to us. So we know that God, through Jesus, came to get us to fetch us, to bring us to him. God has come to do himself what we could never do on our own. He doesn't send someone. He doesn't send a preacher. He doesn't send a committee. He sent his one and only son to come. So Christmas means that for you and for me that there's hope. In a world where we see so many without hope and many times we find ourselves in despair and we find ourselves struggling, we can know that because Christ came that we have hope. So we're going to explore this morning what it meant for Jesus to come and walk with us. The word that we often use in the Christian church to talk about this phenomena is Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew name for Jesus, meaning God with us. We first see it in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, 
And uh, so if you want to turn there this morning, we're going to kind of be playing uh, musical chairs. We're going to be all over the scripture this morning, um, but we'll start in Isaiah chapter 7, um, when the prophet Isaiah tells the forecoming of Jesus as the Messiah. Okay, so to set the scene first, there's two wicked rulers that are coming after King Ahaz in his kingdom, and God is sending the prophet Isaiah to come and encourage him and embolden him and let him know that God is going to take care of them. So let's check out this full story, Isaiah 7. Uh, we'll begin in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sher Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the adjunct of the upper, upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So these two kings are coming. These two rulers are coming to take over the kingdom of Judah. And Ahaz has been frightened by this. And so God sends Isaiah in this moment to say, hey, listen, these two guys are just smoldering bits of firewood. There is no way they're going to be able to take you guys over. You need to be encouraged. You need to be emboldened. You need to know that I am with you. This verse right here where it says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. He's saying, stand firm in your faith. I've got this. I'm going to deliver you from your present trouble. Let's continue in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So the prophet Isaiah encourages Ahaz. He says, hey, you're going to win. Don't worry about it. Test the Lord in it. And Ahaz is like, no, I don't believe it. I'm not going to test it. I'm just going to, I just can't believe that because there's, these people are ganging up against me. I'm not going to believe it. And then Isaiah looks at him and gives a word from the Lord and says this, will you not... Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So God encourages Ahaz and says, not only will I deliver you from your present trouble, not only will I deliver you from these factions of people that are out to take over your kingdom, but I'm bringing you a promise that is so much greater than that. I'm bringing you a promise for deliverance from your future troubles and from the ultimate trouble from your sin and from death. I'm bringing you the Messiah. And that's exactly what God has offered us through Jesus Christ. And that is why that God came to be with us. That is why Jesus came to be with us. That's a, just a cool picture to me of God looking at Ahaz and saying, not only am I going to deliver you from what you're going on right now, but I'm going to deliver you for all time and I'm going to deliver you from your sin. I'm going to deliver you from your doubt. I'm going to deliver you from your despair. I'm going to step in and do that through a baby which is crazy. Jesus came to earth through a helpless baby. Those of you that have babies or have had babies at your house, you know that like of all the things you could choose to come and be a baby 
wouldn't, doesn't make sense as your first choice, right? Babies are helpless. Um, they're really only able to lie there and wriggle and stare and make noises. And they needed to, to be fed and changed. And they, they really need so much. But God becoming a baby was a reality. And the more you think about it, the more of the miracle it is. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of Jesus coming and being a baby. And once Jesus came, and Jesus came to be with us, there was a lot more of this type of encouragement like we just read about to happen with the people that Jesus encountered. Because this is not the Messiah that people expected. And so when Jesus began his earthly ministry, the people did not expect him to be this way. They expect him to be a model of King David. They expect him to come as a conquering hero. But he came as a baby. And so naturally when he came, there were a lot of doubts about who he was. There were a lot of doubts about what his motives were. There were a lot of doubts about what he had come to do. And this seemed to happen all the time when Jesus was working with the religious leaders and people of the time. In John chapter 10, he was talking to them about his role in salvation and what he had come to do and what he was offering to them and not the whole world. So read a little in John 10 beginning in verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in or go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So Jesus alludes here not only dying one day to cover the sins of the world, defeating our eternal enemy and, and giving us that deliverance, but he promises a full life here as we walk this earth, just like was prophesied in Isaiah. I've come to give you full life here. I've come to deliver you from this present trouble, but I've also come to deliver you from an eternity separated from God. So when we talk about Christmas, we're not talking about some trite event with a helpless baby in a manger with cute barn animals. We're talking about God planting his feet on the earth and being with us. And make most, no mistake, Jesus was and is fully God. He showed this over and over again throughout the gospel accounts. And even in that belief that he's fully God, we believe that he was fully human as well. Jesus performed many, many miracles on this earth. But the one I'm going to share here exemplifies not only his deity, but his humanity. I know you'll be familiar with this story, and the easy thing to do would be to check out, but just stay, hang with me here. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who was very sick. When he got sick, his sisters came to let Jesus know. His sisters, Mary and Martha, came to let Jesus know. Because they believed him to be the Son of God, they wanted Jesus to heal their brother, which is a really, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? They, they know Jesus is the Son of God. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is their friend. He wants to, they want him to come and heal their brother. So when they came to Jesus, he went with them, but not immediately. He waited a few days. And in that time of waiting, Lazarus died, which is, it seems weird, right? Jesus would take this moment, and he knows his friend is sick. He knows these people are suffering. And there's a lot more to this story, but suffice it to say this, that Jesus knew what he was walking into. Jesus knew what he was doing. And we don't understand all the ways of God, but we know that when Jesus walked into that moment in that way, he was choosing to show his power in this unique way. And so when he finally arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four whole days. And so 
uh, needless to say, all the, a lot of the burial rituals had, had happened and there were mourners there and the whole thing had been going on for several days and people had begun to settle with the fact that his, he was gone, that Lazarus was dead, that he was no longer going to be with them. And the people surrounding this, you see throughout this, throughout this account, that the people there had different feelings about what Jesus had done. Some believed that, um, that Jesus should have been there earlier, and some believed that Jesus could still heal. And we can see the gamut of those emotions with Mary, Lazarus' sister, in John 11, when she says this, 21 and 22. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But know that even now, God will give you whatever you asked. So she says, look, I know I wish you to come when I asked you to come, but I know that even now that God could heal. I know that even now that the power that you have from God can heal. Martha then takes Jesus to the tomb to see Mary and to see some of the other mourners. And Mary, in an emotional moment, lets Jesus know how she was feeling in uh, chapter 11, 32 through 35. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along, her, along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. We see his humanity on full display here. Jesus in that moment walked into that deep grief and emotion with the others that loved Lazarus. He empathized with them and showed them love in a way that only those that had walked in true pain could. And just like that, for you and for me, when we walk into pain, when we walk into suffering, as was alluded to earlier, like the holiday season can be a really difficult and hard time. For those of us that have lost friends, that have lost family, that are separated from them, there can be all kinds of grief and hardships and struggle in this season, in any season we walk in, we know that verse we read in Hebrews earlier, that we don't have a great high priest who can't sympathize, but Jesus can sympathize, and Jesus walks into our pain with us. With Mary, with Martha, with the mourners, Jesus walks into that pain because he knows what pain is. When he came and he died for us, he was separated from God and knew true pain. So know that we, when we walk into things that are just tough, that Jesus has been there too, and that's his humanity on display. But Jesus didn't let the story in there. Verses 38 through 44 say this. Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. This is not something they were going to want to do. Um, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by, then, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What great hope awaited right there, right? So Jesus is standing at the door there. He's standing at the entrance of that tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come out. I can't imagine what the mourners are doing right there. There's probably some people saying, well, this guy's a nut. Like, this, this guy's been dead four days. Nobody's coming out of that tomb. And there's others that, that are just looking expectantly, waiting. Could this be? Could this be a moment? Can this man, is he really who he says he is? Can he really heal? Can he really deliver? The dead man came out, 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Empathizing with human pain while at the same time holding the power to make all things right again, that's the beautiful picture of Emmanuel, God with us. That is the hope that we have in Jesus. Not only deliverance from the things that we encounter, not only a full life here, but from an eternity separated from God and from that hopelessness, from that grief that we so often find ourselves in. I've got a quote here from Tim Keller in his new book, Hidden Christmas, and this is so awesome. Um, If you need a book to read through this Christmas, I would highly recommend that. He has nonetheless had the honesty, Jesus, and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty, suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it was well worth his while. The scripture says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus bore the cross. In other words, he is with us. If you don't hear anything else today, know that Jesus is with you. Why else would he come? There's no other reason for him to come than to show you and to show me that he is with us. And in those moments where you feel alone, in those moments where you feel like there is nobody walking beside you, know that God is with you through Jesus Christ. And he's with us in a way that no one else could be. We see in this story his humanity and his deity on full display. And we see the purpose of that intertwining, of the intertwining of that deity and that humanity and the reason he had to come to show us the way physically on this earth. And God chose to do it this way. So I believe because he desires a real relationship with us to be close to us. No other person of power has ever cared what you or I think, doesn't have any desire to be close to us. But God, the one who spoke the earth into existence, the one who created everything, desires a relationship with you and with me. He could have chosen any other way to redeem us, but instead he chose to come and have relationship with us through Jesus. In Jesus, we see God in a way that he can be known and he can be loved and all that in a human package we can understand. The grace in that to me is one of the things that's really like, it's, it impacts me in a great way to think that the grace of God in that moment, he, he didn't have to redeem us, he didn't have to save us, and he didn't have to make it so relatable for us, but he gave us Jesus to walk with us that we could see in the flesh, because he knows, he knows how we are, right? He knows that if we don't see it, then we often have a hard time believing it. And so in his grace to us, in his mercy to us, he gave us Jesus to walk in that relationship with him. And I mean, considering that he was God in everything, Jesus was also really relatable. Look no further than his genealogy. And and don't worry, I'm not gonna throw up like a ancestry.com for Jesus up here or anything. And I'm not gonna put a picture up there. I'm not gonna read the whole list of names. But if you look at Matthew chapter 1 and this full genealogy of Jesus, and you take a cursory glance through these names, you'll see there that there are five women in his genealogy. There are five women listed in the, in the birth line of Jesus, which for us is not really that big of a deal. You know, like that is not a, it's a common thing. If you were going to draw your family tree out, you would put your moms and your grandmothers in there, wouldn't you? 
But in this time, that is not the way it would have happened. Women in that society were not uh, respected in that way. They would have not been put there. And um, it would have been rare to see a woman on this list at all in any important person's genealogy, let alone five of them. And here's what it shows us. It shows us that people who are outsiders, that people who the world has forgotten, the last people that we expect can have relationship with God. So the next time you look at yourself or I I look at myself and I think, man, I I deserve this love that God has given me, that I'm better than somebody else. Look no further than the genealogy of Jesus to know that, hey, like he came to be with us and he came to walk with us and he came to give outsiders a seat at the table. Again, this isn't a story about a baby in a manger. It's a story about Jesus bringing grace to all of those that have, all of us that have mess ups daily, for all of us that are in different races and different socioeconomic classes that have different amounts of money in your wallet to sit together at the same table and enjoy the spoils of the kingdom of God. If you think about the accounts that we've talked about this morning, King Ahaz, the Pharisees, the disciples, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, the mourners, None of these people did anything to deserve the love and relationship with God of the universe. None of us have done anything to deserve that relationship with the God of the universe. But it's his grace that gave them the deliverance from their present troubles and from their future troubles. They did nothing to earn that grace. He freely gave it out of love and desire and relationship for us. That means that we can have it too. No no striving necessary. We don't have to clean up to be with Jesus. I think a lot of people have that kind of hesitation. They're like, man, I, I can't have a relationship with him. I've, I've done too much. I've messed up. I've, I've gone too far. But what, the, what Emmanuel says, what God with us is, is no, I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm walking with you into your pain. I'm walking with you into your mess ups. If that's not rest, if you can't take a deep breath and know that you can't run too far from God, that you can't do anything in your own striving, I don't know what is, man. That The great hope in that moment is that I can't do it. I can't even make coffee. But the God of the universe wants relationship with me, and there's nothing I can do to earn that. There's nothing I can do to change that. We live in a world that tells us, you you probably have a job that tells you, you probably have a a relationship or two that tells you you don't mean anything unless you can achieve something. But many of us with kids know that we love our kids, no matter what they do or no matter what they can't do, really. I don't love my four-year-old because he stays on green at school or because he's a good colorer or because he can finally put his shoes on the right feet, which took forever, by the way. Like, we don't, I don't love him because of that. I love him because he's mine. That is my son, and I love him. And nothing he can do can make me love him more or love him less. Listen to this from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. It doesn't say you were almost dead. It doesn't say that we were hanging on for dear life. It doesn't say that you had a little bit of a chance. It says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We're dead in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who's not work and those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich 
in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So not only does he save us, but he gives us a seat at his table. He doesn't save us and bring us just barely inside the door. He makes us his own and gives us a seat at the table. Verse 7, in order that in the, kingdom, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. See, it's right there. How beautiful, how freeing is that we have nothing to boast about because we are his handiwork. We are not our own. We are his handiwork. He has bought us with a price and he loves us. Check this out one more from Tim Keller. When God showed up in Jesus Christ, he was not a pillar of fire, not a tornado, but a baby. But the little babies can be picked up, hugged, kissed, and they're open to it. They cling to you. Why would God come this time in the form of a baby rather than a firestorm or a whirlwind? Because this time he has come not to bring judgment, but to bear it, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the barrier between humanity and God so that we can be together. Jesus is God with us. The incarnation did not happen merely to let us know that God exists. It happened to bring him near so he can be with us and we with him. So we can take a deep breath. We can stop our striving. We can rest this Christmas. We can rest each and every day. We can have hope. Because no matter where we stand, no matter where we've been, no matter where we're going, we know that God has given us Emmanuel. God has given Jesus to walk with us. And not only to deliver us from our past trials, and not only deliver us from the current struggles that we have, but to bring us an eternal hope. And if that's not a great rest, if that's not a great hope, I don't know what is this morning. And that's all because of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. I don't think that um, the magnitude of this can really ever set in for us. God, what you did for us, you came and you humbled yourself and you gave, gave your life for us. God, I thank you that no matter where I've been and no matter who I am, that you love me. And God, I don't deserve that. But because of your mercy and because of your grace, that I can have relationship with you. God, I pray for each and every one of us this morning. God, I pray for the ones that are hurting or the ones that feel unworthy, God. Show them that they are your handiwork. Show us that we are your handiwork. God, for those that are walking with you, God, continue to give them courage, continue to give them strength to know that no matter what they walk through, that you are walking alongside them. God, and as we continue in worship this morning, God, I pray that we would continue to be obedient to what you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.